Hi, I'm Abby, and I'd like to extend a very warm welcome to these Sepsis Research Feet Words of Sepsis podcasts. Over the course of eight episodes, we'll be talking to sepsis survivors and their families about their experiences of sepsis. Some of the stories you hear may be quite painful. Many are uplifting. They're stories of shock, fear, sometimes loss, often courage, but also of hope. Sepsis is a condition that still takes the lives of some 50,000 people in the UK every year. That's about five lives lost every hour. Our hope is that through these podcasts, many more people will become aware of sepsis and that some of the loss and suffering related to sepsis can be prevented as you increase your knowledge and the knowledge of others. So do please listen, share these words of sepsis and help to raise awareness and save lives. In this episode, you'll be hearing from Jess and Amy, two young women whose lives were turned upside down in the most shocking and distressing way when they suffered maternal sepsis after childbirth. First off, you'll hear from Jess, who explains how that diagnosis had a huge impact on her and her family. I didn't really know much about sepsis before my experience of sepsis. I knew it was on the side of an ambulance, but I went in to have my son on the 25th of June 2018. I'd done all the hypnobirthing, etc., etc. And by the 27th of June 2018, 8am, I started to feel really unwell. Unfortunately, I don't think the midwife who had been up all night recognised what was starting to happen. But I remember thinking, I don't feel very well. I just felt off. Oh, it's exhaustion, etc., etc. And I was just like, no, I just don't think that's what it is. It was a student midwife who came in, like a fresh pair of eyes, and she said, "Oh, your temperature is like forty-one." And I said, "Oh, I did just say I didn't feel very well." And she was like, "I think we'll just get some paracetamol in you because it's probably just because you've been in labour for two days." And I was like, oh, "Okay." And then I just feel like I lost a lot of time between 8am and my son wasn't born until like 20 to 2pm. There was like this bit of time that I just do not remember. But the next thing I remember is them putting my legs into like some stirrups and I was so confused. I was like, are these my legs? And my husband was like, yes, they're your legs. So he just laughed at me. And Arthur was born and, you know, I felt all the emotions. But all I could think was, I'm going to be sick. And I was trying to say, I'm going to be sick, but it was like I was trapped inside my own body. I just couldn't get my brain to tell my mouth that I needed to say those words. And then came the extreme shivering. That is the most painful experience ever because it's just like your whole body's doing a workout and you're not part of it. I can just remember things spiraling from then. And I remember lots of people rushing in and coming around me. And then the consultant just saying to me, "Um, yeah, it's really good that we did it this way because actually you have sepsis and you're really unwell. And if we'd have done a C-section, what would have happened is we'd have had a septic shower and you would have died instantly. And I can remember thinking, I felt like I was watching the experience. I didn't feel like I was inside my own body. And I was just like, oh, that sounds serious. (laughs) But I was also felt so rubbish 
that I just couldn't grasp the enormity of it. And then I just remember this consultant coming from intensive care and saying, you've got 10 minutes and then we're going to put you into an induced coma. There was like this switch inside me just was like, no, that's not happening. And it was like, I just fought for my life. So in the end, I managed to say no. I like advocate for myself, no, as in that's not what I wanted. And I managed to swing an extra night's stay on the labour ward. I was in hospital from the 25th of June until the 2nd of July. I had IV antibiotics for, I can't remember if it's three or four days, but also my baby, because we'd obviously shared a placenta. He also had sepsis. He was born with sepsis. He had to have five days of IV antibiotics and be taken to NICU. Well, that's where he was. I discovered later that he'd been being assessed. But yeah, it was really, really scary. And nobody could visit me. I wasn't allowed out. It was the hottest time we'd ever had on record. And I just remember thinking, I can see that these all these things are happening, but I, can, I haven't even got the energy to get my drink over there. And they're expecting you to look after a newborn baby on top. <laughs> the immediate aftermath of having sepsis also meant that some of those first moments didn't happen the way she'd imagined. I remember that I actually had that initial photograph that everyone had the day after he was born. And I got all the oxygen like into my thing. And I remember like ripping it off and wearing it as like a headband. You can see how ill I am in that photo. But that was the first time I'd held my baby. Then I felt like this rush of love. I did feel that. I didn't the day before. I felt like this rush of love and like, okay, we've survived something, dude. We're getting on. We're pretty cool. But for that whole like day, he was silent. He didn't cry. He didn't move. He didn't do anything. And then I thought, he's not very well. And that's when the severity of what had happened, I suppose, hit me. I remember them trying to explain to me, like, the bugs have had a bit of a party up in your uterus. And I was like, oh, yeah, it feels like a real big party, guys. <laughs> Great party. I remember going for the six-week check, and I was like, okay, we've had sepsis. And I remember the doctor telling me, like, no, that's just what they say. And I was like, um, no, no, it's on our medical records. We've had sepsis. She was like, no, no. I was like, okay, okay, but we have. And she was like, oh, yeah, oh. Okay. Okay. I can see that on your notes. And she was like, oh, that term just gets used so much these days. It's such a buzzword. And I was like, I don't think it's a buzzword. I think that's genuinely what some people get diagnosed with. And, you know, I just felt so let down by medical professionals as well. And I just thought I cannot protect him from anything because I feel like nobody believes like the severity of what happened. Nobody told me either the complications that can come from being born with sepsis. I had to do my own research. There's like a one in five chance that a child can have some form of special educational needs. And I was acutely aware of it because of my job. And I think I've been hypervigilant from probably the off on that because I think before the CBT, I really felt like that was my fault. I know now it's not, but he still has some long lasting effects. So he's asthmatic. So basically he breathed the infection in. And it's done something to the lung, the little bits of his lungs. I don't know. I'm not very medical. And I know he's got to live with that for the rest of his life now. And that makes me feel like angry. I know that there's medical stuff that can help him. But in my eyes, he was perfectly healthy before that. And that's not the only impact it's had on the family. 
I don't think I got the gravity of how traumatic it was until possibly about maybe the October. So he was born in June and the October. And I realized that I was scared of everything. And I thought, I think I've got a bit of PTSD. And I referred myself through IAPT because I don't think, I don't know whether I couldn't process it. I don't know. I think I just went into this fight or flight mode for such a long time that I just didn't realise how traumatic it had been. So I had some CBT, well, a long, long period of CBT. But before that, there were so many gaps in my memory and it was because my brain had just decided, I'm not going there. I can't go there right now. So yeah, it was really traumatic. My husband, he stayed in the hospital on the first initial night because... Basically, they gave him a bed. That's how touch and go things were. And he'd been there the whole time. When the diagnosis came, he says, I need to leave. I just need to leave. He'd given up smoking really weirdly, and he'd been like smoke-free for two years. And he said, I had to go and buy up cigarettes. I just had to go and do it because I needed something. And I think for six months, I don't know whether I just wasn't like connecting or what, but he's also started his teacher training and obviously that's really stressful. So I just thought, oh, he's really just quite stressed. And then came the breakdown. He phoned me and something stressful had happened on his teacher training, but he'd reacted what I like to say as irrational. And I didn't know where he was. And I phoned the university and I was like, I'm trying to look for a student. And they were like, oh, has he hurt you? And I said, no, I think he's going to hurt himself. And they were like, I'm sorry. And I was like, I can't find him. And he's got a family at home. And he just went into this spiral. And he was just like, I can't tell you where my head goes because it's going to some really dark places. He said, one moment I had everything. I had you, I had a newborn. And it's what I'd always dreamed of. And he said, and then they turned around and said, oh, but you could lose them both. And he just said, my whole world fell apart. You don't know, but after that initial day, I had to go home. So I didn't sleep. I just dug up the garden at three o'clock in the morning and I did this and I did that. And he said, I've just been thinking that if a lorry crashed into me, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world because I can't get my brain to switch off. And I, and I just thought, do you know what? Like nobody talks about the trauma of having your significant other and I remember him trying to say something, actually, when I did my CBT. He said to the doctor, does this happen to everybody? Because I just feel like I can't sleep, I can't eat, I can't... Like, are they going to be okay? Are they going to die? Get Like, what's going to happen? And yesterday was Arthur's fourth birthday. And Ryan rang me up at 13.41 and burst into tears. And that's how long-lasting this has been. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get emotional now. And I'm not an emotional person. But he likes to know at that time every year that we're both okay. He's a qualified teacher now. He took a lot of time out. He worked in Sainsbury's for a while. And he got himself together and he started running. And it was running that kind of saved him, really. Because when he used to get the feelings, he used to be like, I'm going for a run. I mean, he's doing a half marathon on Saturday. I'm rolling my eyes because I'm thinking I'd rather stay in bed, but I don't get that choice. Okay, but it's good for him. It's for good for me- it's good for his mental health. And I actually follow some people on Instagram who are parents of children who've had sepsis, 
And you can tell that these parents are probably in the same position that Ryan is. We always thought we'd want to expand our family further. I was so frightened, so, so frightened. I don't think people know how frightened I was. Like, I couldn't look at pregnant people. If someone became pregnant who I knew, I would stop talking to them. They would make me feel like I was going to vomit. And I remember going to my booking in appointment for my daughter and I burst into tears. And the woman was like, do you want this baby? And I was like, I really want this baby, but I think I'm going to die. Like, that's all I think. I just think I'm going to die. And she was like, don't be silly. And I was like, it's not a question of what if anymore. It's happened. And I just, you know, since since having sepsis, I've definitely been more susceptible to like just generic illnesses and like things lingering on that I thought, there's no way I'm going to get through the pregnancy being healthy. And I just remember the whole booking in appointment of an hour, I just sat there sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. And she was like, I think I'm just going to refer you to um, a mental health services. I feel really lucky that I don't know the severity of how close I came to meeting my maker. And I can comfort people. It's weird because I know it happened to me, but it feels like it didn't happen to me all at the same time. So I empathize. But when Ryan rang me yesterday and was like, are you both okay? I was like, yeah, why? What's wrong? And that's another thing. Men see everything in birth. And also, you know, he'd planned his life with me, well, with us, and he he just thought, that's it. They've gone. And I think I'm a bit like if Arthur gets okay. ill, I am so hypervigilant about sepsis. I think about it all the time. You know, with what's happened with COVID, I don't think that's really helped. But like all the old school illnesses are back out and he's had scarlet fever recently and that temperature came. He was really lethargic and the siren starts to go off in my head because before sepsis happened, like I said, never thought about it. Yeah. didn't think it would happen to me. But now I'm very well aware that it can sneak up on anyone. Like I thought yeah. it was yeah. what old people got. <laughs> But it's not old people, children, young people, you know, everyone can have sepsis. Jess says the family's moving forward now since welcoming their second child, a healthy daughter. We're doing pretty well. I mean, we have the generic parent, small human tiredness. You know, we probably are a lot more emotional at everything that Arthur does than the standard parent. I mean, we just went to his school meeting because he's going to school in September. Like someone was like, oh, you, you seem quite emotional. And we've got his school uniform really early. And we were like, yeah, because there was a time we didn't think this was going to happen. But I was so ashamed of what had happened because I felt everything was my fault for a long time. But now I've recommenced in some counselling looking at like the trauma and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I'm in a better place and I will speak about it now. And I think that's what drove me to share like my story because I was reading about sepsis. I can't remember who shared the link and I thought it really just can happen to anybody. It's, it's, 
horrific. I would like to say that if you feel unwell for any reason or you notice a deterioration in your child or somebody that you love, know, work with, and you see those, you know, those sepsis, you see those things, if you think it could be, please just ask or please just ring the doctor, ring 111, ring 99, wherever severity, because it, the quicker you act, the quicker and the more chance of survival. I would like women to be able to advocate for themselves if they feel unwell during childbirth or have somebody they know could it be sepsis if they notice a deterioration in in their partner because it really could just be and it could just be that simple simple question that could save somebody's life now it's time to hear amy's story like jess she developed sepsis after a traumatic birth experience but unlike Jess, she didn't become seriously poorly till a week later. What I think caused the sepsis was I um, was pregnant with my little baby girl and I was in labour. I was in labour for 24 hours um, just on Gasnier, which I'm pretty proud of, if I'm honest. Um, I love Gasnier, it's amazing. And at the end, everything went wonky. My placenta came off and my heart kind of went wonky. My baby's heart went wonky. So I was rushed into emergency surgery. The doctors, they recognised things so quickly and helped me have an emergency section, which saved me my baby's life. So recovering after that, everything was going as well as it could be. I was slowly getting more out and about. I went out for my lunch. I think Millie must have been, she would be seven days old, my first like outing. And then, you know, you take like all this luggage to literally go down the road for a cup of coffee because everything's so new. And everything was fine. I had a lovely lunch, came up the road. And when I came home, I felt a little bit funny, but everything feels funny after you've had a baby. So I wasn't too sure if this was normal or not. So I said to my husband, Jack, I said, Jack, I don't feel too good. I'm going to go and lie down. And as I went to lie down, I just started shaking. Like my teeth were chattering so much. I couldn't even string a sentence together. And when I stood up, I collapsed to the ground and I was vomiting I was so dizzy and what was really scary is it happened in, I would say, within 30 minutes from the, oh, I don't feel too good to being really severely ill. My husband wasn't too sure what to do, so he phoned for an ambulance, but unfortunately the NHS is obviously very stretched, so the ambulance said that it would take four hours and he just thought there's no way I could wait four hours. So he phoned triage because I was still under their care because my baby was only seven days old. And triage actually asked to speak to me, but I couldn't speak to them. My teeth were chattering so bad. And I was kind of like, I can't help this. I just couldn't like string a sentence properly. But they said, just come in. So he got already. My mum thankfully stayed with our baby Millie so that we could just go to hospital ourselves. And on the way, just literally from getting into the car, driving to hospital, which is quite a short journey, I became really delirious. So it was winter and it was dark. And when I was going in to have Millie, it was dark. And some reason that part of my brain was so confused. And I said, Jack, am I having a baby again? 
obviously I've just had a baby, that's impossible. But my brain was just so confused. So I was crying in the car saying, I can't have a baby again. It's too scary. It's too scary. Where's my baby? I thought I had a baby. It was just really confusing. Once Amy got to hospital, she began to doubt that there was anything wrong with her, despite her symptoms. We got to hospital and it was a tricky period of time. It's when triage at Nine Wells changes from one level to a different level in the hospital. So we went to one level and then was told to go upstairs. As we went upstairs, I said, Jack, I'm having a panic attack. I'll be fine. I'm having a panic attack. And he was like, no, no, you have to stay here. I said, no, we'll just go home. It's just a panic attack. I was quite breathless, shuddered. I thought this must be what it is. There's no nothing else it could possibly be. But by the time we got upstairs, that part of triage had shut and we had to go back down the stairs. So when time we got downstairs, I didn't know who Jack was. So, so quickly, like in the matter of maybe five minutes, I was turning around going like, who are you? And really freaking out. The staff at the hospital were absolutely amazing. They were like, do you know why you're here? Like, I'm like, I don't know why I'm here. I shouldn't be at a hospital. And really became just somebody that I'm not at all. It was really strange. And they were trying to put needles into me so I can get a quick shot of antibiotics through the bloodstream and to get my temperature down. Now, I don't like needles at the best of times, but me being sane would be like, yes, on you go. But because I was that delirious, I was screaming and, and shouting like, get away from me, don't come near me. Really like fighting members of staff off, which is not my personality at all. The team were absolutely amazing. One midwife distracted me and was just chatting about loads of nonsense, like what did you have for your tea and things like that. And, and that allowed the other staff to do what they needed to do with my body. But when they spoke to me later on. They said, had they not got me in time, then my organs could have potentially started shutting down and they may have had to put me in a coma. And I think just the thought of that really freaked me out because we've actually lost a member of our family due to sepsis um, years ago. He was put into an artificial coma to help preserve his organs and things like that. Unfortunately, he just never woke up. So I don't know whether a small part of my brain latched onto that thought and then became more terrified about, oh my goodness, this is how serious it is. But it was just so sudden and none of us have heard of sepsis before. And I just think if we knew what it was, I think maybe we would have just drove to the hospital straight away and not waited to see what the ambulance said and waited for my mum and things like that. It was just so quick and sudden and very scary. Amy was in hospital for three nights. They've had to monitor me. So I was every four hours I was getting checked up on. Um, and they were just constantly wishing um, antibiotics and things through my blood just to cool me down and to deal with the infection because the infection was internal so you couldn't see anything whereas sometimes I believe if it's on your arms or legs you can see the blood poisoning but because it was inside nobody could see so they had to do loads of tests to find out first of all what it is where is it located and how could they deal with it they did say they can't really think of a reason how else you could get blood poison other than from like a severe wound, which would be misection of any other cuts or that. It sounds awful. I'm quite resentful that it happened because I had this notion of I'll get to see my daughter for the first time. I've got this and that to do. Because the emergency section, unfortunately, I don't remember the first day of my daughter's life at all. There was just that many drugs in my system to look after me that I actually can't remember much. There's photos and that's the only memories I've got. Obviously, I remember day two onwards, but that's like, I just don't remember day one, which I'm quite upset about, but it is what it is. And then 
I feel like I was just getting on my feet. So I was like, right, come on, let's go to this cafe. Let's get used to normal world. Let's show this baby off. And then I feel like it was a major setback because I was then in hospital again. The staff were amazing. They actually let Millie come in and stay with me, which was brilliant. So once I stopped being crazy, <laughs> I was able to spend some good quality time. Um, but ironically, it was Halloween weekend. And I, of course, had about eight different newborn baby outfits for Halloween. <laughs> So blessed, she was getting changed in the hospital so I could get my photographs. <laughs> Amy is now home and recovered. When we spoke to her, she and her family were enjoying lots of time together before she finished maternity leave in mid-August. But the memory of her experience is still there. It does play on my mind a lot and I don't know, this is off, I don't know if I want more children because I have this fear that if something happened again, how, and what's the chances of me actually surviving and I need to be there for my family. So I think that's kind of put a bit of a damper on that, that I am quite scared that it happens again. I've never felt so out of control in my life. It feels like inside my brain was the real me, but I couldn't communicate that. It was just coming out nonsense because I was so delirious. And that really freaked me out of not being able to like communicate and say, like, actually, I'm okay. This is what's happening. And it was just such a scary time. So I am quite scared that if I did have another baby, if it was in an emergency section or if I could get sepsis in another way, I never just, I never want to experience that ever again. So it has put me off quite a few things. I just think it's so important for every single person to know the signs, whether you're a new mum or whoever you are, it's so important to know what these signs look like. And it's so important to act on them fast. When we got to the hospital, the members of staff said to Jack, had he not brought me in, I might not have been here. Had he waited for that ambulance, had he waited the four hours, I definitely would not have been there. And I don't know, like Jack's in a fantastic dad, he's absolutely amazing, but I don't know how anybody who's a new parent could have like suddenly be on their own and have something so serious happen to their partner. It's really terrifying. So I just think know the signs and act immediately. Even if you have one symptom, go and get it checked just in case. I do feel sorry for Jack because he was completely aware of both situations, both of the emergency section and with sepsis. He was... Like I was pretty much unconscious, whereas he was clued on and he said it was the worst two weeks of his life. He says it's the best because we've got Millie, but at the same time, when I had the emergency section, you know, he was sitting there going, I'm either going to come out on my own, I'm going to come out with my baby, or I'm going to come out with my wife and baby. Um, after the section, the doctors came through and said that Millie was fine. And they asked about me and they says we don't know just yet. So he was sitting waiting to find out, right, okay, my daughter's fine, but what about my wife? And then the week later, he was like, what has happened? You know, I'm sitting like absolutely delirious. He's got no idea what is going on. He knows it's not me. He knows something's not right. And he didn't know what to do. Just the best thing he did do was like go straight to hospital. And that was completely the right thing to do. But at the time you're thinking, right, is this normal recovery? You know, is she going to be fine? Do we wait half an hour? Do we have a sip of water? He acted fantastically, really did. But it was quite a terrifying time. And we do talk about it, but now we've kind of like buried it in the box. We're like, nope, it was a horrible time. It's done with. Let's never think about it again. Jess and Amy's stories highlight the shocking reality of sepsis at what should be a time of joy and celebration of new life. We are so glad that both of them made such good recoveries. 
We really hope that listening to this Words of Sepsis podcast has helped increase your awareness of sepsis. Do check out all eight episodes in the series and share them as widely as you can, using them to start conversations with friends and family about sepsis. It could save a life, possibly even your own. If you've been affected by anything you've heard, or you'd like more information about the groundbreaking research into sepsis that the charity funds, please do visit our website, www.sepsisresearch.org.uk, where you can also make a donation. You'll be helping us to save lives today and fund research for tomorrow.